we did a sample of using DTF and they liked it. And so we ran it on DTF. How many pieces was that order? It was 1,200 pieces. You ran a 1,200 piece job on a DT on your own DT. Yeah. I'm not sure you're as profitable as you could be. And I'm also curious if you should be sharing profit numbers with your team to allow you to be more profitable as well. Now, this is kind of an interesting theory, and this goes along the lines of contribution margin. Something Nick G at printprofit.com has been mentioning quite a bit lately to be able to help shops price better, but also price a lot more profitably and align the team to making decisions around being more profitable. Contribution margin is something we're going to be talking about a lot more with Kyle at Print My Threads. Print My Threads is a really cool shop over in Flatwoods, Kentucky. And Kyle mentioned how he really used contribution margin to align his shop so much better. They were scaling and scaling, but unprofitably. That may sound pretty familiar. And so we're going to dig into this. Uh, it's a really exciting episode, actually. So I appreciate Kyle jumping on. But first, four incredible sponsors help put this show on every single week. First up, Easy Way. You know you shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirty screens. Easy Way's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster and more efficiently, costing you the fraction of the cost per screen. EasyWay works with 100 plus distributors in the States, and they just really help with how-tos, best practices, questions, all of that. They are a partner in your business. So give them a try if you haven't already. Thank you, EasyWay. Next up, Multicraft. Open up your phone and go to Multicraft underscore daddy. Follow him and send him a DM. Multicraft screen printing and digital supplies for over 50 years have been providing you with top brands at competitive pricing. If you mention the Printable Pod, you'll get an extra 10% off your first order. Plus, if you DM him on Instagram, he's sending out a case of PMI tape every single week. PMI tape's awesome. We appreciate them. We appreciate you, Multicraft. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Supercolor. Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer. It's made for screen printers, by screen printers, and they truly understand the expectations of running a screen printing business. And that's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. But not only that, they're also partners with you. I mean, these guys will bend over backwards to help you get jobs done. There's issues fixing it, making things right. Just overall, they are with you in your success. Make sure you use Printable 1.5 and that'll get you 15% off your order. Last but not least, GraphX Source. If you need a solution to help improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, GraphX Source offers industry-leading outsourcing options. Um, I honestly think what's very cool though is they plug into your shop management software. I've seen so many Printable shops using GraphX Source and they know the statuses to use. They uh, download the art, they upload the digitized or vectorized file. It's all stepped out. Um, they're also able to help with customer service or back office admin, but they've been around for over 30 years. And so they really know and understand shops and their needs. So make sure to mention Printavo-Pod for 50% off your first vector set or embroidery order. All right, let's jump into the episode. Kyle, you're yeah. not at the shop today. No. Why aren't Why aren't you at work? 
uh, th- yeah, I figured that less distractions if we did this from home. So do you, do you go into the shop every day? Uh, it, it, it depends on the season. Um, and, and yeah, I got to a point where I was going in very little. Um, and then we have, we've had some like kind of like staffing changes and things. So I go in fairly regularly. Um, also bringing on like DTF. Um, I'm still kind of like the main operator for that at the moment until we can kind of a hundred percent pass it off. So what uh, boat anchor do you have? Oh, we have the Mamaki. So it's oh. not, yeah, it's been great. You're part, you're part of the, okay. This is two yeah. boats Mamaki. Yeah. You heard it on the pod. Yeah. Did you, do you have the single head one? Yeah. So we bought the single head and then like, I think when they were installing it, I was like, Oh, there's a spot in here for like the, for another print head. Like how soon is the two head come out? They're like, Oh, it'll at least be a year before the two head comes out. And then like two Next months week. later. Yeah. <laughs> I um, think it was like maybe like a month and a half, two months, but, um, but they're doing that trade up. So anyway. Yeah. We'll yeah. We have a Maki too and it's working really well. Are you having any issues or is it, is it doing okay? I mean, knock on wood, man. It's like, it's been very minimal. I actually did a podcast with Adrian the other day. I mean, we, right before I left for print hustlers, like I gave my, my guys like a 30 minute crash course. Cause we had like 1200, uh, you know, we had like a run of like 1200 transfers we needed to get done. And, um, within like 30 minutes, uh, my, my screen guy, Zach is actually the one running it. Cause it's very similar to like similar workflow to CTS. like, the, yeah, yeah. CTS. So, um, yeah, so it's been pretty good, man. I mean, knock on wood, like we, you know, we, we are real diligent about keeping like proper temperature and humidity. Um, and, but other than that, I mean, it's like, if we don't get a perfect nozzle check when we fired up in the morning, we do like a soft clean and then we're good to go. Bruce, you should, uh, you should, I should see how many times, like if we could ever go on a podcast without saying the word DTF, <laughs> can you run <laughs> some AI was, on Don't it? say hiring. We said, don't say uh, hiring Bruce, you should buy a DTF and you should document your journey. <laughs> well, it's just been crazy. It's been crazy for us. Cause like, honestly, like I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about it and I never thought we'd get into it. And then we got it. And now it's like, it seems like we're just feeding more and more stuff to it. It's like, what kind of stuff are you doing the print on the band too? We're not printing for other people and we're not doing a, like, we will use it for a few stores, but like the jobs that we've been throwing at it is just like, like we have this client that needed 1200 sweatshirts and they wanted this like Christmas tree that looked like it was painted with a watercolor. And so like we could have screen printed it and it would have been like a, maybe a, you know, nine, 10 color sim process job. Um, but like the DT, like we did a sample of using DTF and they liked it. And so we ran it on DTF. How many pieces was that order? It was 1200 pieces. Yeah. You ran a 1200 piece job on a DT on your own D. Yeah. How long did the printer run? Um, so we were ran it like, I mean, we can, we, I think we we're averaging like 370 ish of these transfers a day. So we just ran it for like four days wow. or three and a half days. No, that's what we just ran that. Okay. I just want to like dig in it. Did you think through ink consumables and like what it would take to just order the transfer? Yeah. I mean, we did, but I mean, I guess the way I look at it at this point is it's just like, you know, we've got the machine, we might as well run it. I mean, I, I really don't think like we, we have good margins, you know, I mean, we yeah. just price everything well. I mean, I think we, I need wow. to go back and look and see like what we sold those sweatshirts for, but it was going on like those independent, um, French Terry crew necks. And I mean, I think, I mean, we, I don't know if we were like 18 a piece or 19 a piece. So wow. like, I felt like we had plenty of margin and 
and that the other part of it is that we're just kind of trying to like i want to test it a little bit and just kind of see like you know work out the workflows and do time studies and see like how long does it take and you know mm. how can we get how do we get faster on the like production end of you know heat pressing and that kind of thing what'd you learn from that job then um, I learned that uh, the film that we'd been using prior was not a true hot peel, and this was, and so that made it all the difference. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> and hey. like, yeah, and I mean, and which is crazy because it's like we're just ordering the exact same stuff from DTF Superstore. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I mentioned that on Adrian's podcast. It's like we got to make sure that whatever, if we're trying so hard on our end to control the variables, we got to make sure that like if we order, you know, we're, we're getting the exact same film every single time from them. I have a, a dumpster fire of a story for another day, but uh, we had a gentleman walk into our shop and sell us film and swore by it. And it was really cool. And it was like hot peel at 270 and it was awesome. And then uh, we were like started to buy it and then magically they ran out and then they told our buyer to just buy this other film instead. And I found out three months later that we had been using cold peel when we could have just freaking got it. And I'm like, yeah, like buying from them and figuring out what's consistent. Uh, I've fallen for some early wholesale or early distributor shams. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that'll be interesting, you know, it, and I've had some talks with Moses and just about like, you know, everybody's putting that time and energy and attention into like the inks and the powders and the films and just, seeing kind of where that goes, but, um, yeah, I mean, so we'll see, but it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, it will be very interesting, I think to see. And it's just the fact that you can train someone so quickly and like, we had little issue. I mean, so, you know, I came back and my guys were like, Oh, so, Hey, so this, you know, like the first 370 transfers were pr got printed on like on a cold peel. And so it was like, like we have like little tiny registration marks and stuff that were, they were, you know, problematic. And, uh, and then as soon as we hit the stuff that was hot peel, it was like the issues went away. At Pronouncer's Conf, it was a, it was a pretty cool panel of different people that, you know, uh, one shop spending $500,000 a year on, on Supercolor. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you had Steven, you know, who's like a mechanic on the, uh, wow. DTF side, <laughs> where did you fall? Like what, what drug you, drug you from one side to the other then? So, I mean, I think like for us, um, we have like one client in particular. Wait, that, is uh, the word drogue, drug, drug drove and drug <laughs> turned into drogue, new vocab <laughs> word, Bruce Ackerman. After. I was like, what the hell did you just say? <laughs> drogue you from one side. Why, why there? I think like for us, it, um, so we had a, a couple of clients in particular that are pretty picky as far as like color and feel and, and that kind of thing. And so we started looking at, uh, would DTF, you know, work for them. And so we started like, um, ordering in, we would, we were basically sending out the same print files to like multiple different vendors and then getting them back to see like how they compared. And like, what we found was that there was like a huge variance in terms of color, feel, you know, everything. And so we just, I kind of quickly made the, the determination that like, if we were gonna, you know, start offering that and standing behind it or whatever, it, in a, these are retail clients where, you know, they expect the same consistent result, like again and again and again. So I just knew that if we were going to do it, we were going to have to go all in and uh, figure it out so that we could control like color and cost and um, turn times and everything in-house. 
So, I mean, I had listened to some of the stuff that, uh, like I listened to your podcast that Steven had or whatever. And so when, um, so I, I, I knew at that point I knew we didn't want to get in, but then when I heard about the Mamaki and just knowing what we knew about DTG and kind of like the same progression it had, um, I called up Moses and, um, the one client we have, it's, it's this like artist named Charlie Harper. And then, um, we kind of made a connection about that. I guess like his wife's like a big Charlie Harper fan. And, um, anyway, so one thing led to another and then I bought a Mamaki and apparently like we landed on the right machine. <laughs> so, well, and yeah, like DTF Superstores, they're doing it right. Um, they are taking a position in support and supplies. Like they've hit this kind of critical scale where they've elevated themselves above, you know, above others. Uh, but the conversations I've had with like their owner, Andy, is like when you're starting to cater now to enterprise, like I kind of was like us kind of shops, we are lunatics about things that maybe a hobbyist might not care about. Right. Like, and, and like, I was like the level of service, it just kind of has to change and elevate because downtime to us is thousands of dollars that we like just can't afford to do. And so it's like, if you're going to support and move upstream, cause ZTF Superstore really like they started with probably more garage shops and hobbyists and are now starting to move into enterprise is like, you have to make sure that the level of support quality, you know, ship dates turn, like we just, we operate on a different level. And I think a lot of people getting into the space think they know how crazy we are. And then they're like, oh, like they are, they are intense about their stuff. Um, so I think that's really, really interesting. Um, cool. Is that your niche? Like artists and, and more retail? I'm, I was just Googling Charlie Harper and um, a lot yeah, comes I mean, up, uh, but I didn't. Well, yeah. That, so, I mean, no, I mean, our niche, honestly, like our that we're really trying to push towards is more healthcare. Um, the Charlie Harper story is like a little bit different. Like we, um, so like my wife and I came across like one of Charlie Harper's posters when we were, um, down in Costa Rica and got back to the States and then Googled him and found out that he was like based out of Cincinnati. And so, um, we were like big fans of his and he had passed away, I think maybe, a year or two before we, you know, found out about him. But at the time you could still go to Cincinnati and like tour his house. He had like a home base, like, um, art studio and things. And so we went up there and toured his studio when my wife was pregnant, uh, with our second son. And uh, we actually named him Harper after Charlie Harper. Hmm. And then Harper quickly became like the, one of the most popular <laughs> girl names out there. So, but anyway, so yeah, so we kind of had this connection and then at some point they decided to start offering apparel and when they did that, like I reached out and kind of told them, I said like, Hey, we're huge fans. Like I'd love an opportunity to work with you all. And so like we got that account and, um, there we go. That's the yeah. best cold outreach right there. So personalized, tailored, you guys are a true fan yeah. when you got the job. Yeah. Kyle, I'm, uh, and, and printed my threads.com. You first of all, you have an awesome website. Uh, it's like, yeah, really, top really 10 actually website. Done. Please go to print my threads.com. Did you build it or did you hire someone to do it? So we've got a guy that we worked with in the industry that helped us build this out. And, um, he did a great job. He's actually like, uh, I guess I will, I probably won't call him out. Cause I think he ended up getting like in a little bit of trouble for it. He worked for one of like the industry, like production management softwares <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, helped us sort of build like a custom thing that we've run our, you know, we've run on basically like what we did is we took Airtable and, um, built out a tool to kind of like run, you know, our shop off of, and then, once we had that, we, it was like, okay, so we're like tracking all these things. And so we wanted to build out sort of like uh when you go to papajohns.com 
and you can see like you know ready making baking ready for pickup kind of thing like a in the for a customer portal so we took we took our production management tool and then made like a customer facing portal um because we do work with a lot of retailers that might have like anywhere from 13 to 15 orders going with us at a time Mm -hmm. and so that way you know they've got like one central place for the where they can log in and they can see the status of every order or they can approve things they can pay for things that kind of so um, um so so all of this is custom mm-hmm. dang yeah i was gonna say the problem is, is that guy is now like when he kind of like his situation changed within the industry like he's no longer in the industry he's working a different job so like now like our support's and has pretty much gone away. So like our tool is stable, but we're actually like looking at Printavo and like other industry solutions because like there's going to come a day like when APIs or whatever change and things start to break. And then I'm worried that like we won't be able to fix it. So it's, it's tricky. Um, Mm. I mean, it works great for us right now and it's, and it's super stable, but I'm trying to think like three, five years down the road, like you're secretly protecting him. So no one reaches out to you asking for his name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I would love it. I mean, I would love it if he would uh, like, I mean, I I think, yeah, do this more. I just, yeah. I mean, this is, this site's sick. Um, Is this WordPress? The front end? Um, no, it's Netlify. Hmm. Or I think, yeah, but, or, but, and it used to, uh, honestly, we used to have, we had like a, at one point we had a, you know, custom quote tool and you could build out your own order and everything. We actually went away from that because we just found that it was like almost too accessible. And Mm -hmm. like, we just like, we weren't able to get the same kind of margin we wanted on every single job. Um, Cause we're, we're just not, we're just not set up to like go the like real volume approach. Like we're, we, we've really like, use that 80, 20 to kind of like find our niche and like our customers that we can make a lot of money off of. And then like got kind of ruthless about like firing off all of our customers that like we weren't making the kind of margins on. And so you are, you are, you are speaking some, some, that's some Sunday service. Okay. We got to go. We're going to go there. Can I I ask Steven, just one quick question on healthcare. What do you mean by you wanted to dive into healthcare? Is that, is that target niche like uniforms or I don't know. I don't know what is healthcare. Are you asking me or Steven? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you Kyle. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, so I'm not in healthcare. So we so in our area, um so we're in a pretty rural area, right? Like it's Appalachia and one of the major employers and like one of the major industries in our area is healthcare, right? So like we have I mean, the fact of the matter is we have kind of like a lot of unhealthy people throughout the region and so like healthcare is like kind of a big, you know, industry. Um, and so we work with one of the local hospitals and, um, well, a couple of, in a couple of regional hospitals. And it's just like one of those industries where it's like completely recession proof. So like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, during COVID, I mean, it kept us going and, um, and then we've just been able to figure out like ways to add value to the, the, those hospital systems to where like, they just keep giving us more and more business. Um, they, the one main hospital has it set up so that like, instead of wearing a scrub top, their employees can wear t-shirts mm-hmm. and it's like every single month is like a different, uh, you know, cancer month. Right. So you've got like breast cancer, uh, you know, colon cancer, you know, you, every, every single month is like a different awareness. And gotcha. so we have this, we basically have it set up to where the marketing department, they run like these internal employee stores. And so the other big part of it is that the employees can buy these t-shirts and it's all payroll deduct. So it's like magic money. And so it's like, did you, you know, start a cancer shirt of the month club? 
<laughs> well, I, well, I have no, we have not, but like, I, <laughs> but like, I no, but I have like, don't don't let Stephen uh, uh, put you on your back foot like that. No, but I mean, like, we we I've actually pitched that to him because it's it's literally like it's every month they have something right, and so they do these right. internal stores, and so like one of the one of the issues that they ran into is that like before COVID they would do these internal stores and they, they would sell somewhere between three to 5,000 t-shirts. And then like they were have they were like trying to manage like folding and distributing the t-shirts like in house. Yeah. And so like they were trying to work with volunteers. And so they'd be like busting in like, you know, convicts or, you know, whoever to like help with these t-shirts <laughs> and then, but then they'd have to feed them or they wouldn't show up or, and it was just this nightmare. And so then they had like, you know, marketing directors and VPs of the hospital, like folding and distributing t-shirts. Right. And so that's like, <laughs> how bad the they are. Just, yeah. We need all hands yeah, on so deck. Like, We're missing two largest. <laughs> we got a code, a code t-shirt. Unbag everything yeah. and redo it. <laughs> no. So, I mean, so it was like this total shit show. And so like, as we had these conversations and like started like figuring out like really where the need was, it's so much more about like all the logistics than it is about t-shirts. And so like yeah. we helped you're solving problems. Systems. It's like yeah. you say, Steve, it's like you're solving problems and the t-shirts are the, are the uh, bridge to it. Just the byproduct. Yeah. The byproduct of it. Absolutely. Um, wait. Okay. Yeah. So you talked about firing your customers. If you were to like, how much of your business, uh, share if you want is healthcare related. Like if you could give it a percent, um, I would say like right now, like probably 80%, like, which is a little wow. scary. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a little scary. I mean, our biggest thing right now is that like, we're honestly getting to the point where, that's one of the big um, like concerns or liabilities is just like we're, we've gotten so far kind of in bed with like a few of the, these healthcare providers that like if something were to change or go away. Um, but one of the things that happened with us is that uh, the one hospital uh, that, that we do so much business with, they were bought out by the University of Kentucky healthcare system. And so when, so when that happened, they, um, they required all of the vendors to go through like this really extensive like RFP process. And so we did that. And I think like, we still haven't heard anything like a hundred percent for sure yet, but I think basically what that process did is that the hospital liked to kind of like share the love. And so they give us the majority of the business, but they were still using like a few other vendors here and there. And I think a lot of those smaller vendors are basically just going to like kind of go by the wayside uh, because yeah. of that RFP process. So if, if you can go through an audit, we're going through a, a Sumera audit right now for licensing it like it's it's brutal to go through um but, and it's kind of terrifying but if you can get through it then you have so much more protection and a leg up on on competitors um so like i know everyone like dreads that kind of stuff but you actually can become the de facto and then that university system can actually look at you and say actually like we have to go through them they're our approved vendor um right. Uh, that's, we're learning about that in the licensing space. That's, that's a pretty, pretty cool lesson. Okay. So, uh, something interesting on the last day of print hustlers, uh, Nick G, I can't pronounce Nick's last name, gave a Nick G print profit guru, uh, gave a talk on, um, his model of, of profitability. And there was this whole concept about contribution margin. If you want to learn about it, there is some episodes that he's done and some stuff we can throw some links in. But you spoke up about it. And you said that there were a lot of things that you do in your business to track profitability and share with the employees uh, or have bonuses and incentives and structures. And when you said that, I was like, 
damn, that's like, I've heard about people doing it, but it's really hard to do. Can you talk about, maybe we dive into this a little bit and break it down, but like, how, how do you think about profit? Like walk us through this journey and maybe we can pick before where were you were at before. Yeah. Like let's, 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 let's pick this journey apart a little bit and maybe we can kind of drill you on how you're doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for us, like a lot of it started with, I mean, we got the business to the point where we were growing our revenue and adding employees and adding equipment. And it was like, literally, you know, just one of those things like our revenue was like this and then our overhead was like this. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, you know, I, you guys t- spoke to that a little bit, I think in the podcast that I listened to yesterday, like the recap on print hustlers. Right. So I think a lot of shops in our industry do that. It like, it's all about more and more like driving revenue, driving sales, but you know, we're in this, crazy industry where it's like, you know, unless you're going to outsource it, everything you sell, you have to figure out how to produce. So, you know, we got to the point, I hired like a local business coach and he put me in touch with this, um, his name's Tyler and he's like a, a local, he's a fractional CFO, but he's actually local to us. And so like Tyler, you know, he had gone off to California and was like a financial controller for like a big company out there. And then he got to the point where he wanted to like, you know, come home and then like, you know, do his own thing. So, you know, Tyler's this fractional CFO that works for, you know, as, as in that, in that, um, position for multiple different companies. So between the two of them, we kind of came in and we got like real, like, you know, took a look at the business. We had, you know, tons of aging AR. Um, and we just, you know, we were just, the cat was kind of wagging or what do they say? The tail was wagging the head or whatever. I don't know. So it was just out of control. And so we got, like, um, real intentional about, yeah, using like the 80, 20 rule, figuring out like where we, you know, where was the business, you know, bleeding money, you know, where are we making money kind of a thing. Um, we also got into Mark Kudre's program. Um, so that, you know, that was really helpful. Um, but yeah, so I think the first thing for us was, you know, getting our aging AR under control. Um, and so what, what, what kind of broke the camel's back though on this? Like, was it, yeah, what pushed you know, you a year end that? thing? And it was like, ah, shit, you know, yeah, I mean, it was like a year end thing. It was like, well, it was just cash flow, right? I mean, you have to have a good cash flow. And so, like, you know, our cash flow is hurting. And then you look at your agent AR and it's like, that's where all your cash is. It's like in customers that haven't paid you. <laughs> you know deceivable i think is what mark says yeah (laughs) yeah so so it's just one of those things where i mean it was really like a necessity um and then i think the other thing too is it's just like uh i think i got to the point where like i was getting like really burned out and really stressed out and i kind of got to a breaking point where i was like look if we're gonna like work this hard and be this crazy and we can't afford to like, and I can't afford to like make the money I want to make. And I can't afford to like pay my people what they deserve to make. Then like, why are we doing it? Right. Mm. Like what year was so, this? Uh, I want to say this was probably back in like, uh, probably like 2014, 2015, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So a while ago, like, so can you got like roughly like revenue or size wise you were at at that time? Um, I think we were probably like approaching a million in revenue. Like we probably weren't quite to a million in revenue at that point. Yeah. And that that's Sorry, the Steven. like that's the hamster wheel, right? Like you've gotten the business to a million bucks. Crap, we we're probably making more money when we we're doing seven hundred K. I've don't have systems processes in place. Everything's going crazy. I'm selling more, but this feels like hell. That's yep. a that's a that's like a I feel like that's a breaking point um for a lot of 
shop owners. But I think there's something you did there is like you went out and, and found help. Uh, fractional CFO is not cheap. What would, what, what did you have to pay for maybe like first year for like really like for Tyler? Cause it sounds like Tyler was a, an influential person to you. Yeah, he, he has been. And I mean, I think like in, and honestly, I think the timing was right in the sense that I think Tyler had just kind of started this model. And so I think that like, we probably get a better deal than what he charges now. But I mean, so, I mean, just full transparency. And if he doesn't like this, we can edit it out or whatever. We pay like 2000 a month for Tyler. Mm -hmm. Um, But that includes, and then, you know, the way he works is it's like, like all of the, you know, um, bookkeepers and CPAs and people we'd worked before, it was like very transactional. Like every time you called them, you felt like you were getting billed mm-hmm. every t- every email. And I, like, I, I really don't like to work that way. And it was problematic because it was like, we ha- had questions and then we didn't feel like we could ask because we, we were trying not to, you know, does, the- does he run your AR and like your ledger and like, uh, so- or do you, do you take things then and, and pass them off to him? So like it's evolved. Um, so like my sister-in-law, Bridget works for us now and she's, I mean, she's our accounts manager, but she's almost like our COO and she works remotely, but she's, you know, really good, super smart. And so, um, we kind of have like, like Bridget really works on like our, on the aging AR and accounts management and the invoicing and, uh, handles a lot of the bookkeeping. And then we meet with Tyler weekly and like, you know, they true everything up in, in QuickBooks online. And then, um, you know, he does our monthly financials. Um, he like, uh, we have, we do like the profit first distributions, like for our bank accounts. So like he manages that, um, he does our year end taxes obviously. And then like, if we have like special projects, like for instance, like we've done, um, we got like a USDA grant to do put like solar on our building. Um, so when we do bigger projects like that, like he helps with that. Or if like, if we're, you know, you know, uh, any kind of like financing or anything like that, he'll help with those types of projects. Okay. Looking back, what is that worth to you now? Meaning like, I think that shops, uh, undervalue a really good finance person and they try to get it for cheap. And then they like, play hopscotch between bookkeeping companies. Uh, I had a big light bulb, but I'll share, I'll share it in a sec, but like how, how much would you pay for him now? Like what, like, yeah. If, if you were to look at it back, like how many millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars has he made or saved you? Like, do you even quantify it? How do you think through what his value was to you? I mean, well, yeah, Nick and I kind of had this conversation yesterday. Cause I think he's sort of, and I put him in touch with Tyler because I think like in our industry, to your point, I think people are really cheap <laughs> and I just don't think that they, a lot of times like these smaller shops, like, uh, and I, when I say smaller shops, I'm including myself, right? Um, like our midsize shops, I think it's, it's hard to like want to spend that money, but you, you have to look at it. Yeah. From your, from the standpoint, the light bulb has to go off. It's like, you, it can save you so much money and it can help you grow the business. And, um, it, it's, to me, it's like, I guess the analogy is like for the solar panels, right? Like before you put solar panels on the building, you have to make sure that like your building is really energy efficient. So you need to, you want to make sure you've got like LED lighting and like really good insulation. And so like from the financial standpoint, I think like before you can do a profit share and before you can, you know, do a lot of these things, like you have to have someone like a Tyler who can help you like get your, you know, shit straight and like really like make sure everything's clean and like running properly. And then it like positions you to then like make these really good decisions. 
And, you know, that's the way Tyler works. Like his model is kind of like, he knows like when he takes on a new client that like, he's going to invest heavily, like on the front end to get everything, like the chart of accounts and everything like really dialed and set up. And then he kind of like works to automate all of those different parts of the business. And, um, so I think like, you know, I think that there's been times where Tyler probably felt like he was undercompensated. And then there's been times where we felt like he's overcompensated. So it all kind of like works out, you know? Yeah. Um, what size would you have hired him? Cause it sounds like it was a bit late around a million. Like, was it more appropriate? 500,000? Is that too soon? 700? I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. And I think that's the thing too, is like, if you find the right person, I mean, I think the most, like the way we work with Tyler is like, we, it's, it's contractual, right? So like, we just get, a, we, we build out like a list of like, here's what you're going to do. And then like, here's what we're going to pay. And then like both, everybody has to be like comfortable with that, you know? And I feel like, and then we'll, we'll revisit that like every six months or a year. Um, Cause like, for instance, I mean, a lot of the stuff that Bridget now does, Tyler used to do. Um, and so like, you know, she's been able to take that off of his plate, but then like, so we've added other things onto his plate, you know? And so it's just as, you know, I think that it's just, you got to find the right person. You got to have like really good open communication about it. And then, you know, if you were consulting a shop, you know, that was growing, let's say they were at 250, right. Uh, hiring the first person or two there and you were saying, okay, you're coming up on X dollars, whether 500 or 700 that, you know, next year, like, let's get this fractional CFO, just meet people. And, and so you can get ready to do that in a year. Like, what would that number be? Do you think? Like, like what, what number in sales? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, if you're, you know, half a million or more, I mean, I think you, you know, you got, you better make sure that you're, you know, you understand your financials, you know? And I, and it's like, I think even when it comes to like, you know, things like payroll taxes or whatever, right. It's like, if you make one mistake on something like that, like it, the amount you pay in penalties and fees can be the same amount as what you're going to pay someone to help make sure that it's done right. It's, I feel like all of these key hires are a lot sooner than, than I think, or anyone really appreciates until you swing way past it. And then you're like, Jesus, I am so overdue. Uh, yeah, Steven, like there's a, a, there was one year that oh, like, sorry, we like, I was going to say there's one year that like, you know, like again, we're in a small town. So they send you like your tangible property taxes on this like little like note card in the mail. And like, we missed it, you know, and we didn't pay it. And it's not because like we didn't have the money, but like it got, and then the next thing we know, we like got a letter from like an attorney saying that, Hey, we now owe like your property and you're going to have to pay us this, this, and this, or like we can, you know what I mean? Like we can take over your building. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like, so like, little, yeah, like little things like that. It's like, yeah, how much is like having a financial person worth to like make sure that kind of stuff doesn't happen? Um, Fred, what was your Bruce, story? Bruce, you saw Campus Inc. before our CFO and after our CFO. Yeah. Curious from your perspective, what you, I mean, you know, a ton about our business. You've worked with our, you've, you know, he's a really good friend of ours. Uh, what did you see? Um, I mean, number one, obviously you staying up till 3am, like texting and like moving models and Excel sheets around and trying to estimate things to, to not having to do that, which is, which is cool to see. But I also see like, and you, maybe this is reading between the lines, but it feels like your CFO is sort of your, your, your bowling lane guardrails where, you know, you're, you're just bowling, you're bowling and bowling, but like, maybe there's some gutter balls, maybe there's some strikes and everything in between. And then he's just like, nah, here we go. Here we go. We're running through here. And he is, I mean, he's a killer. Like he's very professional and like super good and knows his stuff. 
Now that's just yeah. from the outside. So and, and I you mean, gotta go we, deeper on that. Yeah, when we when we we kind of bounced around with some different firms and used tried some different things, and we started kind of getting to this critical point where, oh my gosh, we're taking in a million dollars of investments. I'm supposed to figure out how to spend it and not run out of money in time, like in a in a certain window of time. Uh, and when he came in, he probably spent three months just cleaning and just like organizing and like it it was kind of embarrassing honestly <laughs> and he would i'd be like dude don't judge me for that like that that's how <laughs> yep we put that there yep and he's like okay we're gonna change this okay we're gonna change that um and he's just coming up on a year and now bruce it's almost like i feel like i'm in like a like a little like army cannon thing and he's just like okay go he's like go and he'll be like, okay, we're spending on this and like pedal down. And mm-hmm. he will just give me the confidence and the transparency to say, yep, yep, yep. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. Or, ooh, watch out. Um, and to have someone in your business that can do that for you makes the moves that you make so much like so much more deliberate and impactful. And you actually, when you actually do something, you, f- you do it with confidence instead of this, like, I'm just going to like, hope that it works out. And I feel like our industry, yeah, we're cheap. And we do a lot of just like hope and pray that this is all going to work out. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we got Watson probably five years too late. So, so uh, another thing I realized too of, of us having a CFO Because you have Stuart is, too, Bruce. Right. And he's very sharp. He's been around the block and, and is the future planning. It's not like... So I think a lot of times we look past and we're like, okay, uh, you know, the bookkeeping, the the categorization, like all that stuff. And then we sort of have a rough idea in our mind and it's not really planned around detailed math. It's like, it's like, yeah, I'm going to add like X to each column and then, and then draw it out. And um, to have a true financial projection and model to... to to align the rest of the business with as far as, Oh, okay, we should hire this person in August. So that means I need to start looking for them, you know, a month or two before. Oh, okay. So we can look at investing in this piece of equipment or, or this space or um, this party for the team or whatever. That is a lot of mental load off of my head. And, you know, now our new CEO's head of just not even having to think about that stuff and ask questions and get answers back. So that but, was but really he, underappreciated. Yeah. Bruce, you even said something like the holiday party. Are we going to buy this equipment? Are we going to hire an employee? Like there's so many little things that we as business owners make and decisions we make every day without thinking through it. And it's and, reactive versus proactive decisions on that. And then yeah. once, you, once you've made the decision in your head, like I'm going to have a holiday party and it's going to be $3,000, you're not pulling that back, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're like, uh, yeah, what is that based I mean, off of? Yeah. I'm I, mean, I, don't know. I think we got took, it. I took my whole team to Vegas last year. Watson started like right before it. And so I was like, the, the jellies left the donut. We're going. And this year, uh, I've had to make some disappointing decisions. Of like, hey, guys, sorry. The jelly has left the donut, boys. The jelly's <laughs> left the donut. All right, Kyle, what do you got? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, it's no. So it's interesting. And I think I agree with everything you guys said. I think, you know, the other thing that hiring someone like that does is like as like the business owner or the CEO of the company, like it helps educate you so that, you know what I mean? So it's like, you have that person, right. But like, then like by working with that person, like I've, I understand my finances like so much better. 
right? Like when we started this process, the process, like I didn't know how to read a PL sheet. I didn't understand a balance. You know, like you don't understand those reports and those things and those metrics. And um, so it's not something that I think that, you know, it's not an overnight fix, but you've got to start that process and you've got to educate yourself because, um, you know, otherwise you're just going to like stay on that rat wheel and you're, and you're just going to be working more and more in, you know, printing for pennies. But yeah. And then to your point about like taking everybody to the show, like we just did that. Right. And so like kind of maybe bringing it back, you guys were asking about the profit share. Like one of the things that I hear about in our industry, like so often is that, um, you know, like, uh, to the, the presentation about like how to save seconds or two second lean and, you know, you get the efficiency and all these things. Right. But then the question is, okay, so, right. So we understand how we're supposed to do that, but then how do you get buy-in from your staff or your employees? And to me, like that's where the profit share comes in. So, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about before is it's like, you know, step one is get your finances in order. Step two is like, if you can, then once you have everything and you understand your financials really well, then you can, if you can build out a profit share, like that then begins driving employee behavior and, 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 and making sure that you can kind of like maintain that. Right. And, it, and it, um, you know, you always hear shop owners say like, Oh, like I wish my employees would take more ownership in like what they do or like, and like, again, so, I mean, like if you can, I think one of the comments I made at the show is like knowing your finances and putting that profit share in place. And then it be, it allows you to become like more transparent with like the business finances, which I think is like super healthy and like, we need to do more of, I think, you know, what do you share? With the team. So like, well, like I'll share revenue and we, and I share, like we share like what our net operating income is. Right. So like, well, the way we do it is a little bit different than Nick. Like he's talks about a lot about contribution margin, but like we work off of like operating income. So operating income is, you know, basically your profit after like, you, you know, all your expenses. And so, you know, operating income is like a big number for us because that's basically kind of telling us like, okay, after everything's been paid for, like except for taxes and depreciation, right? Mm-hmm. Everything else, then th- this is what we're like making. And I think like when we started this, I, I think when we started, thing. I was trying to, I was a- asking my wife last night, like I was trying to remember back, like when we first started this, like what our operating income was. And like, it might've been 4%, it might've been 8%. Like, I'm not quite sure. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, if your operating income is like 4%, I mean, right now you can take your money and put it in like a money market account and be getting 5% interest on it for like nothing. <laughs> right. So like if you're, so, you, so like, so if, you're working for free. Right. I mean, like you, Bruce, you brought that up. Like you were talking about how, like so the data you guys pulled from Pintavo and pe- like people are increasing their prices by like 1% a year. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the average. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's the average and like, infl- what has inflation been over the last couple of years, like three to 5%. Uh, two, well, excluding the last, like, you know, two years, it was, um, uh, about two to two and a half percent a year. So, so if you're at two to two and a half percent a year and on average shops are raising their price 1% a year, they're losing 1.5%. Right. Like just right across, like, like just right off the top. Exactly. Which that's, that's crazy. Like, and like, why? (laughs) Yeah, that that's when I discovered that data, I also thought that was good. And by the way, um, Kyle's referencing a chart that we put up that we looked at the data from essentially like January, 2014 up into about, uh, March, 2020, which is, you know, when the pandemic started and the average price of an order value increased every year about 1%. And so, 
Um, now that's across, you know, a few thousand shops. And you, you could also argue that, um, you know, we don't sell to mega, mega 15, 20 auto shops or whatever. So I'm not sure exactly how they're, what they're doing, but yeah, I mean, on average, 1% a year. And so that was a little bit mind boggling. And then after COVID, it jumped up 17% a year, then 11% a year, and then back down to 1% a year. And yeah, to your point, if you just take the annual inflation minus that increase, um, essentially you lose X percent in in money, in revenue. It's it's like having money sitting in just a checking account, not earning any type of interest. I mean, you lose a little bit of value every single year. So, yeah. So, I mean, to me, I think that's the main thing, right? Is I think like that's, and those are the types of things that I don't think that you quite understand until you kind of like start down the road of like, you know, hiring a professional and like kind of looking at all of these different things. Um, mm -hmm. And you take, like, so, right. so you take, you yeah. share that net, net operating income. How does that funnel to the staff where you talk about, you know, bonuses or what they're thinking about to help you drive that goal? So, yeah, I mean, the way we kind of like the way we, so when we first started out, like the profit share, we set it up to where, um, we weren't actually as transparent about it because we were still kind of trying to figure it out and make sure that we had like our numbers dialed. And so mm -hmm. the very first few profit shares we paid out, it was like a percent of, um, it was based off of a percentage of payroll. So like if you made more money, then you got more of the profit share. And like what we've actually kind of like now, like what we've more settled on is that it's just a straight, like if there, you know, if there's a $10,000 profit at the end of the quarter, um, like that's going to get split evenly among all of the staff. Um, and the reason, and, and it, again, a reason why we decided to do that is just so we could be like more transparent with it. Um, because like, um, the, the whole idea to me for the profit share is like to drive is to, yeah, to drive those behaviors, drive that culture. And if you, and so like, if you can't explain it and people can't wrap their heads around it, then like, it kind of like loses its purpose. And like, mm -hmm. I don't do it to like dangle a carrot in front of somebody's head, but like some of the same things that we've seen is that, right. Is this like, when we look at like hiring somebody new or like buying a new piece of equipment, like the conversation always goes to like that my production staff, like look at it from a standpoint of like, well, like, do we need that extra help? Because if we bring on one additional person, like that profit is going to, it's like, what gets squeezed. Right. And, and do they, is it transparent in all, at all times? Like, does everyone, does the employees, and is it, is it all employees or just a select few? Um, I mean, it's trans like, so, you know, Bridget and I look at the numbers all the time. They, they, we pretty much show it to them like once a quarter. I mean, what we'll, so like what we'll do is at the end of the quarter, we say like, okay, so here's what the business, like, here's what the operating income was. And then here's, we take 10% of that and then we split it among, um, the evenly among the employees. So we, I would like to get it to where it's like more, almost like a KPI like type dashboard, but that's kind of tricky because again, it's like, um, you know, Tyler does our, you know, we, we could maybe do it on a monthly basis where like each month when he has our, our monthly end financials, we could show it each at the end of each month, but you wouldn't want to like necessarily show it on a daily basis. Cause it's just gonna, it's not necessarily gonna be accurate. Right. Did, okay. You refining this program probably didn't happen overnight. It's really hard to pull off. What mistakes did you guys make along the way? Do you have any like scars, bruises, scabs yeah. from it? I mean, I think initially there, I mean, there's certainly been times when like, <laughs> like a transaction, uh, you know, didn't get reported properly or like the timing was off. Like sometimes that's where like we do it quarterly because 
like for instance, if you, let's say that you have a job that hits like towards the end of the month and like you purchase all of the shirts for it, but like you haven't quite, you know, you, based on the timing, like things can, can, can show like a lot more profit initially and then it comes back. So, so I think by, by us doing it quarterly, that kind of helps compensate for some of those, um, differences and it, and it kind of like makes it more even Steven. But, um, I, I think that, and then I think, um, you know, when we first started doing it, it was always this question of like, well, so do, do we do like 10% of net operating of like operating income or do we do 7% or do we do 5%? And, um, I mean, I think that's something that we still kind of struggle with a little bit from the standpoint of like, you know, like, so again, like where we've worked this system and we've gotten the business really profitable. One of the things we're looking at right now is like, so do we just increase everybody's hourly pay a little bit, you know, more? And then, but which means that then like probably the, that then they won't make as much in in the profit share. Um, yeah, so. but but I think the cool part is you said it. You're creating good habits and you're creating the right activity and you're getting them bought into making your business money. Which I don't know if a lot of employees care how much the owners make or anything like that. Now, do well, you're the employees pay have, out of that too, though? Like before, you have to pay yourself first, down, right? right? Yeah. So I mean, I'm on payroll, and then. Um, so I'm on payroll and then the kind of the way we've been running it is so, you know, we'll, we'll take that operating income, right? So kind of going back to that profit first model, which we try to, to, to run. So 10% of the operating income gets split evenly among the staff. And then like, I'll take 10% of the operating income as uh, an owner's draw. And then the, so that's 20%. And then the other 80% just stays in the business. Gotcha. So there's never a sense of like greed. Do you ever feel like employees ever get, hostile about it or greedy about it or selfish about it or issues like why are you making so much and we're just making this like it, i just feel like and i've heard about you know things happening in our industry right now right. do you ever do you ever feel like they're going to turn against you i mean i guess that's always a kind of a concern and but i think it goes back to what i say before is that i think that probably you know i the what, the one thing that, that was talked about at print hustlers like i wonder if how much of that is because there's not enough transparency in that business about, about where the money goes. Right. right? Because I, I think that like a lot of that um, is driven by, you know, especially as these businesses get larger, you approach 5 million, 10 million, right. You have all these employees, they, they, they see that that top line revenue and they just think that you're just rolling, you know, they, they're like this, like Scrooge McDuck, you know, like swimming in his money. And it's like, so I think that's the thing. I think what we found is the more trans, like the more like educational and transparent we can be with our staff as far as like, it, you know, we, we got really into the numbers at one point we, and we knew like what it cost us like per hour to be open and per day to be open, you know? And we like shared that with our staff to show them like, look, so like, you know, if we're open and you guys are here and like, we're not producing work, you know, then this is what it costs. Um, and so one of the th other things cool about the profit share is that like, if we have a day where like, we don't really have enough to run a full day of production, like we'll just call everybody off hmm. and then they're okay with it. Cause they know that like, they'll see more of that money in the, um, in the profit share. And, and so and how, how many employees are doing are participating in this? So we have seven employees in it. So, like, so we're not like a huge shop, but. but it's substantial to them. Like, it's not like this is a couple hundred dollar bonus every quarter. Like, what would a typical earnout look like? So, I mean, where we're seasonal, um, I, let me see, I brought that up. So, like, our, so the first quarter, um, 
I think each employee got uh, just over $1,000 for the quarter. And then our second quarter, uh, each employee got um, over two, like almost $2,200. Wow. So, or, so, so sorry, that was the second and the third quarter. So like, you know, we're seasonally slow first quarter. Uh, we're, and then the fourth quarter where we have like a lot of like year and expenses and stuff, it's not always as great. Um, but yeah, the second, the second quarter is typically pretty good. And then the third quarter is like always great. But like, like the, the third I quarter, mean, it was like a, it was like a $4 and it was like $4 and 20 some cents an hour on top of their regular pay. I mean, an employee that makes an extra four grand, that's to an hourly employee could be like life changing. Um, so that's, that's really, 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 really cool. Um, and kudos to you for actually pulling it off and carrying it out. Cause I feel like a lot of shops like we make this and sort of works sometimes doesn't work. Um, so kudos to you for, for doing that. That's pretty, yeah. pretty sweet. Well, thanks. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been hard. And like I said, we're, we constantly are looking at it and tweaking it. And then we've, we added like a SEP IRA last year that is actually going to turn into a 401k this year. And then, you know, we, we look at it too. Like we, so we, our, our staff accrues like paid time off. So like for every, for every hour they work, they get like 0.05 hours of PTO. And then we also like added the like sick pay or we call it wellness pay. Um, and then we have like a, a time, like, so we get really seasonally slow, like the week, like right around Christmas and new years. And so it used to be this thing where like we would shut the shop down and then people would have to use like their comp time or their pay time off or whatever to cover that. And we realized that that was like really stressful. And then like people were trying to like build their time up and like not, you know, go see the doctor or use times during the year. So we basically just said, okay, so we're, we're just going to pay for those two weeks. Everybody gets those two weeks paid off during Christmas and new years. Um, so like we've done a lot and I mean, it's like, that's the thing is that, right. It's like, you do hear these grumblings of like, oh, I can't find good people or I can't get good people. But like, so like we try to get out in front of that and like we offer like a lot and, um, and it, it, it's resulted in Great this like retention. Being, yeah. It's so expensive great. to try to re replace someone that's really but good. But you can't do any of these things unless you have a really good financial model and financial systems and routines and habits and, and all those things. It's not like you can just flip a switch and turn this on. It took, took years to develop this. But I think what I'm hearing is now that you've kind of gone through a couple iterations of it, now you're talking about 401k, employee benefits, doing something crazy like, hey, we're going to just shut the place down and pay everyone for two weeks. There's There's a lot of companies out there that you hear, oh, like the, you know, this company does this for these employees, or they do this. That's the CFO saying, "Hey, we can afford to do that if you want to do that, right? Or we can afford to do this if you want to do that." Because I agree with you. I mean, if you know, the rule at Campus Inc. is like, if I want to be off with my family and everyone else wants, then everyone else should be off. Like, that's that that's kind of bullshit. That right. I can I can make that money, and an hourly employee can't. So um, that's that's super interesting. The one thing that I, so we used to do this similarly where we would split 15% of the profit at the end of the year. Um, but it was similar to you, net operating income, I think, cause I think it was pre-tax, but the one problem that we had was when we wanted to really invest and we were like, okay, we have a very clear path where we should, you know, hire more engineering. We need to hire some leadership and, then the top line wasn't growing as quickly as the costs were, right? Because we were making that jump up to say, all right, if we make this investment, then in a year or two, like things will swing back later. And 
people were understandably frustrated because they were used to, you know, splitting that and that pie got smaller and smaller and smaller or, as the team grew out. Bruce, what could you have done looking back? In hindsight, I would have just budgeted X percent. Um, by the way, this is not like a back, this is just like a, what we went through. I would have budgeted X percent of salary as a bonus, like, I don't know, 5% or something like that, and put that into a pie and done that based on performance to them at the end of the year, where that allowed me to help budget for it, regardless of reinvesting back into the growth of the right. business. So, because. Because your employees are like, we're fine where we're at. We don't want to do any. We're good where we're at. And you're like, no, no, we need to hire engineers and keep growing. And we're not going to yeah. see that revenue for a couple of years, right? But like Kyle, you even said, sometimes your employees think twice about spending, but are also like motivated. You still run, I think, a TAS. Do you run a TAS? No, they're RPMs. Okay. Yeah. You have... I- exactly. <laughs> So an RPM is like the language that I'm like what it's well, like so a it's, great it's, it's like a it's like an old like uh, the, they used to be called a Rhino. I tell people it's kind of like the bastard child of like if an MNR and a Volt and a Anatol like had a baby. <laughs> it's like I don't know. They're great presses. I'm not trying to talk shit about them. But Taz. <laughs> it's not uh, no. Taz. It's it's RPM. RPM. I was like, I went to this beautiful website, clicked on the Instagram, started going through it. And I'm like, am I on the wrong Instagram right now? Uh, Dude, our, our social media sucks. Is that what you're trying to say? No, nice you've way? got this. You've got this oh. press that <laughs> no one has seen. It's from the, like, it's, it's from left field. So I just got to know, like, uh, do you just have your employees like brainwash that they could use this thing? Do you really like this press? Uh, should people um, be buying RPM presses? <laughs> Do you have well, the model? The problem is I don't know that you can buy them anymore. So the way the way we got into that was like when we were looking to buy our first automatic, it was like right when Rocket first hit the the US. So like Ryonet still had like the western half of the you know states, and then I think it was called uh, Tech Support Screen Printing Supplies had like the East Coast, and so we were actually like looking at a rock, and then but we had to buy through this tech support place. So I actually drove up there because they were going to demo the press for me and it was like the, they had just gotten it and installed it and I got up there and they didn't know how to run it and I was like well this isn't going to work because like I don't know how to run an automatic either um, so that kind of killed it for rock and then at the time we were we were outsourcing um, stuff to a shop out of Wisconsin and that guy was like look he said you know we run MNR but there's this brand of press you should check out it's called an RPM and it has like all digital print heads and like, it's like a really great press and like, you're going to get like amazing bang for your buck because like, it's a smaller operation kind of thing, you know? And, um, so anyway, I checked it out and like, that's what I went with and it's been great. And they're, they're amazing presses. They're Polish built. So very similar to like an Anatol. Um, but like all the press manufacturers, so many come out of Poland. Yeah. Anatol, MNR, RPM. Yeah. So I think it has something to do with like, so in the, the guy that services and sells them, he's been in the industry forever. Like he, he has like a history. It's, it's Rick Fuqua. And like he used, you know, he used to work for like precision and with like back the precision ovals and all that. So anyway, he knows um, his stuff, but dude, Bruce, we got to get Rick on here. This is, he's this in is, Indianapolis. Oh yeah. Rick. 
um, well, you're listening to this. If you hey, if if you can get Rick on the phone, let me know because like I can't get him on the phone. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, that's the so that's the that's the, <laughs> if you get him on the podcast, yeah, I'd love to be on that podcast too because uh, you're just gonna so, pop up as the as the fourth person. Hi, yeah, hey, this Rick, turns into uh, his four call. Remember those parts. Is there yeah. a RPM Facebook group of like RPMs Anonymous of like no. there's a well, co- no. no that's that's the thing is it's just like again they're really good presses but I mean it's literally like it's almost like a three person operation like there's a brother in Poland and he like oversees like the building of the presses they get shipped to Chicago the other brother does all the electronics and, you know puts it together installs all the electronics and then Rick like you know manages like install and service and support and again it's like, like the they run, brothers. Yeah, it's like they, got, they offer good yeah. support, but yeah. Well, yeah. And, and 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 Rick typically does too, but he just goes through these phases where it's like you can't get him, and then and then you get him, and then it's everything's fine. But like so, I think we've uh, all worked with a vendor that <laughs> that's yeah. like that. And so yeah. it's like, but that's that's our thing. And like so, I've been talking with Rock, and we've been looking to like, do we, you know, at this point, do we get out in front of it, and like while our equipment's still good and has some resale value, and then like you know go with something new, or do we just you know, continue to run. Really, the only thing that ever breaks or like we'll have issues with like maybe like a, the digital, every print head has like a di- digital keypad. And so we'll have something go wrong with one of those or there's like this encoder board. And the problem is, is that both of those are like very specialized electronic parts that like you can't, I mean, you're not going to get them from like, you know, Granger or someplace. So uh, you should, uh, you should keep this press and like have Wally keep adding like MNR parts, like have Zach add rock parts and just like make the like no, robot bigger, like no, robot coolest, just make, yeah. Make the child that, uh, that I you're mean, talking Matt, about. Matt knows about them. I mean, that's the thing is like, there's shops in Indianapolis area, like that are running like 10, 12 of these, lot, wow. you know, like really big shops. So, I mean, they're, they're out there, but. There's most I mean, he's already running so. a 1200 hoodie job on he presses. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, this has been this has been fun, Kyle. Thank you for for doing this. Um, a lot of really awesome insight. So this is this is cool. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, yeah Kyle, truly appreciate the time. Um, hey, pronouncers, look. Next year, the tickets are coming out soon. I just saw Brett was in Cleveland, so I know he's uh, looking at venues and finalizing some things. So Print House is kind of 2024. It's going to be exciting. We'll see you all there. This is Kyle Robinson, printmythreads.com. Check out the journey there. Kyle, you are a blast to chat with. We'd love to be able to do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure, man. It was, it was great meeting you guys at Print Hustlers. And uh, yeah, looking forward to next year. We'll be able to drive up, I think. So we'll be Heck yeah. We'll, yeah. So we'll be there. We'll, uh, we won't go surfing. We'll find something else to do. All right. <laughs> Talk to y'all soon. All right, Bye. Man. See you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications if you enjoyed this video. If you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job. To subscribe, hit the bell for notifications, and hit the like button. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.